Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Welcome Resurrection Service. Here's Pastor Mark Hashigan with this Easter message. Resurrection Sunday. Praise the Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. We are so blessed that God loves us so much that he let his son be crucified for us. His blood washed away our sins. Three days later, we get, he gets resurrected, and so do we. Amen? Everybody, no, oh, that was too weak. This is Easter. Everybody say, amen. There we go. That's what it's about. You know, if, if any day of the year we get together... This is the day that we should be praising the Lord for what he did for us. He not only took away our sins, but he gave us life eternal with him in heaven. That could have only happened through that cross. All right. So from that, we went from the crown of thorns to the crown of glory. Last minute, thrown into this. It's it's the time where you're able to come up and place uh, flowers that are going to be handed out, and they're 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 placed on the the cross of glory in uh, memory of your loved ones that that you've um, that you're remembering, and so. That's what this this time of our service is for.
This time during our service, we're going to uh, read from Scripture. I'll read from the book of John, chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 19. And God's Word says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went uh, to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they, have take, where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other d disciple outran Peter, and came to the tomb first. And he's, he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together and in place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb went uh, tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know uh, the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples uh, went away to uh, went away again uh, to their home to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, 
uh, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Verse 13, Then they said to her, Woman, woman why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, uh, said to him, Sir, if you have carried, away, carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned, she turned and said to him, Rabbi, which, uh, Rabboni, uh, which is to say teacher. Uh, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not yet ascended, for my father, uh, to my father, but. Go to my, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same, then the, then the same day at evening, uh, being the first day of the week, uh, when the doors were shut, where the disciples uh, disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We are going to be reading out of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 15 verse 17 1 Corinthians 15:17 He is risen he is risen indeed Again I say happy resurrection Sunday if you'd rather happy Easter It's the only language I know then so What a glorious celebration Jesus' resurrection to defeat death for all those who believe in him. Amen? Now, one of the issues with special holidays or holy days, like Easter and Christmas, is that most of you have heard all of the stories over and over again, told in different ways. So sometimes we come here and, and we hear those familiar parts that we begin to, to just kind of phase out. Right, don't we? You just kind of start to go into hmm mode. So you start to halfway listen. Now I'm not going to stand up here and say that I'm this remarkable preacher and you should listen to all the words that I'm speaking because that ain't so. But we never know when the Holy Spirit is going to take a piece of the word spoken or read from God's word and strike a new nerve and awaken us. So it's up to us to listen to the information given, and it's up to us to apply it to our hearts. 
Now, I know that sometimes there's a lot of information being thrown out there. And it gets hard for us to keep it together, to keep it from getting mixed up. It's like I heard about this grandfather who, who wanted to see how much his four-year-old granddaughter knew about the Easter story. He put her on his lap and he said, Julie, why do we celebrate Easter? Without hesitating, Julie says, Jesus was crucified. After he died, his body was put into a grave. They rolled a big stone in front of the opening. A bunch of soldiers stood guard at the tomb. On the third day, there was a big earthquake and the stone rolled away. Whew! Imagine your four-year-old saying that. Grandpa, of course, was pleased at how much his then his granddaughter was. But then she continued. When the earthquake happened, the entire town came out to the grave. And if Jesus came out and saw his shadow, they knew there was going to be six more weeks of winter. <laughs> At least she had part of this story right. This morning, I want to break down the overwhelming data about the, re the resurrection into some bite-sized chunks. And I want to ask you to serve as a jury this morning. I want you to imagine this, this room as a courtroom and each of you here sitting in the jury box. This is my opening argument. In my opening argument, I want to help you get the whole story right about what happened on that first Easter. With all the information available in, in the world today, I'll show you that the most, that most of it's irrelevant and not very useful. It's just data flowing, floating around cyberspace. It really doesn't matter. What does matter supremely is whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus staked his entire reputation, his entire ministry on the resurrection. And if it didn't happen, everything that Jesus said and did is open to question. Now, the issue before the court this morning isn't that, that of a crime, but of a claim. A claim so spectacular and so crucial that it's the cornerstone of Christianity. Or it's a fatal flaw. Members of the jury, the claim is that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead. The resurrection is the supreme miracle of Christianity. It's the very heart of the faith. If it never happened, Christianity collapses into mythology. And billions of people would have been deceived. If it did happen, it authenticates everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said. And believers have the guarantee of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Now, let me say this as strongly as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith, is vain. Ye are set in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. 
The resurrection is either one of the most wicked, heartless, vicious hoaxes ever. Or it's the most fantastic fact in history. Now I'm going to show you overwhelming proof that Jesus Christ did exactly what he predicted that he would do. That on the third day, he rose from the dead, body and all. Acts 1.3 states that after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And that's what I intend to do this morning, jury. I'm going to present three pieces of evidence that when taken together will prove con convincingly that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The first piece of evidence I want to bring before you this morning is Exhibit A, the empty tomb. The Bible teaches that after professional executioners crucified Jesus, his corpse was placed in a solid rock tomb. And after that, his body was covered with about 100 pounds of spices. It was extensively wrapped in strips of linen cloth. A very large stone, estimated to weigh about two tons, was rolled in front of the entrance of that tomb. That's a 4,000-pound rock blocking the opening to the tomb where Jesus' body laid. 4,000 pounds. Now, after this boulder was placed in front of the tomb, a contingent of up to 16 Roman soldiers was assigned to guard that tomb. Some pictures you may see have shown one or two men standing around in many skirts holding a spear in their hand. That's simply not the case. These men were human fighting machines. They were Roman soldiers. These warriors were trained to protect the area around that tomb against an entire battalion. They were looking for a fight. Matthew 27, verse 66, tells us that in addition to the Roman guard, that they also put tamper-proof official Roman seal on the, on the stone. Matthew 27, 66 says, So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now anyone who happened to make it past the Roman soldiers, they would have had to then break that seal. And by breaking that seal, they would have received the wrath of Roman law. And they weren't little, you know, wouldn't have slap on the wrist. It was like chop your hand off kind of stuff. In spite of all of these precautions, the stone, the soldiers, the seal, the tomb was empty that first Easter morning. When the first people arrived to look in, they only saw one thing. That was the blood-stained burial clothes. As if Jesus had materialized right through them. The empty tomb serves as Exhibit A. It's a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Critics down through the ages have, have, haven't been able to refute that empty tomb. 
Instead, they come up with other possibilities. Maybe the disciples stole the body. But that kind of seems far-fetched, doesn't it? I mean, when you consider this group of cowards, who when the night that he was, he was taken, they all scattered. One of them was naked, running through the woods. But then you had to consider that these cowards would have had to overpower those Roman guards. And then they would have had to move that two-ton boulder. Then they would have had to dispose of the body so nobody could find it. And then manufacture this myth about his resurrection. A myth that they gave their lives for. That just doesn't seem plausible, does it, jury? Another possibility would be that the religious leaders disposed of the body. But this has some serious flaws also. If they removed the body, all they would have had to do is parade his remains down the main street of Jerusalem, right? And that would have derailed Christianity forever from the very start. But they couldn't produce a body because the body wasn't there. Jesus was alive. He had been raised from the dead. Now, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Christianity rises and falls on the empty tomb. It's the one silent, infallible witness. Critics can't explain it away. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then where's his body? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, where is his body? Leaders of every other religion died, and they stayed dead. Their bones decaying in the ground. But that's not the case with Jesus. He claimed that he'd rise from the dead on the third day, and that's exactly what he did. The empty tomb validates his claim. Now, while this alone provides substantial evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, I'll grant you that this fact wasn't convincing in itself to the original followers of Christ. Even though Jesus had predicted that he would rise from the dead, it's obvious from their behavior that they were not expecting it. They needed more evidence, something that would remove all doubts from their minds. Men and women of the jury, I'd like to enter into evidence exhibit B, multiple witnesses. The early Christians, they didn't believe Jesus had risen because, the, because of the empty tomb. They believed because they saw it with their own eyes. It wasn't the tomb that convinced them. It was his presence in their presence. When they talked to, talked to others about Jesus, they didn't say, we found an empty tomb. Instead, they said, we saw Jesus alive. The most outstanding proof that Jesus rose from the dead is that more than 515 eyewitnesses saw him on 12 different occasions. Acts 1.3 says that to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days 
and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus gave unquestionable proof that he was alive. After his resurrection, he made an appearance to the women in the cemetery. Later that same day, he walked through those closed locked doors and talked to the frightened followers, his apostles that were huddled in that upper room in Jerusalem. In the evening, he walked side by side with two men as they walked down the road to Emmaus. He, had he appeared to believers and doubters, to tough-minded and to the tender-hearted souls. He appeared. He showed himself. He was alive. Several people saw him on more than one occasion. Some alone, some with larger groups. Sometimes at night, sometimes during the day. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to a group of new Christians, and he laid it all out. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. He says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some have fallen asleep. Friend, that is a strong case for the resurrection of Christ, isn't it? Over 500 different individuals were willing to testify that they had seen the resurrected Christ. When Christianity was launched on, on the scene, these eyewitnesses were still alive. They could be questioned. You could talk to them. In effect, the early church could say, if you don't believe us, you just ask so-and-so. He had dinner with them. He talked to them. And of course, we know that Peter was one of those eyewitnesses. He got, got up one day and, and he preached his first sermon. After summarizing what the prophets wrote about Jesus and how Jesus lived, Peter laid out the details surrounding Jesus' death. A copy of his sermon notes has been preserved in the Bible. And this is how he formulates his conclusion in Acts 2, verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. This Jesus hath God raised up, and we're all witnesses of that resurrection. It's interesting that Peter preaches this sermon right in the heart of Jerusalem. Right in the same place that they killed Christ. The very city. People knew that that tomb was empty. And Jesus had appeared to hundreds of people. Members of the jury, it's verifiable. Peter later wrote a letter, and he wants his readers to, to know that he didn't make the resurrection up. He saw Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He even had a fish fry with him on the beach one day. Oh, man, that's another story. I love that story. <laughs> he wrote in 2 Peter 1.16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables 
when we, made, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnessed, eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, we didn't just make this up. This isn't just a story. We weren't just saying this. We saw Jesus. As you think about the facts that I'm presenting this morning, I urge you to consider Exhibit A, the empty tomb, and Exhibit B, multiple witnesses. But there's one more compelling argument for the resurrection. Distinguished members of the jury enter into evidence. Exhibit C, changed lives. Those people who met the resurrected Jesus have had their lives totally transformed. The resurrection is validated by the changed lives of his followers. Something radically happened to change the direction of this original group of followers. After Jesus was put to death, what did the disciples do? They scattered. They ran. The Bible said that they were gathered in a locked room on the top floor of a building. They were terrified. They thought the Jews were going to come and kill them. Their leader had been brutally executed. They took his body and they put it in a borrowed tomb. They saw the rock rolled in front. They saw the guard standing. What was going to happen to them now? John 20, verses 19 through 20, lets us in on the scene that would forever change their outlook, that would change their life. We read it earlier. The disciples, they were all hiding out of fear. They thought they were being hunted down because they were followers of Jesus's. They were all so confused. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. How could the Son of God die? Jesus was there one moment and gone the next. And then his body was missing. All of a sudden, they're trying to, to wrap their minds around this. Hello, Jesus. He's in the room. In the room. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't even come through the door. Well, actually, he did come through the door. <laughs> but he didn't use the doorknob. He was in the room with them. Instead of confronting the disciples for not standing with him, for not being there in his time of need, Jesus appeared to them and he said, Peace be unto you. The overwhelming peace cut through their own guilt, through their feelings of failure. Their fear was replaced with joy. And Peter was changed from a coward who had denied Christ three times to a man, a man of rock who became one of the pillars of the new church. These ordinary men were transformed from frightened wimps into one of the most effective missionary organizations that the world has ever seen. Let me ask you a question. 
what motivated them to go everywhere and proclaim the message of the risen Christ? What was it? Was it money? Was it power or fame? No. Not at all. It couldn't be. Every one of them had come from doubt to determination. From confusion to conviction. From fear to faith. Every one of them changed. Listen to how they died. And see if it sounds like they were just making up the story of the resurrection. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets until he was dead. Peter, Simeon, Andrew, and Philip were all crucified. James was beheaded. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Thomas was pierced with lances. James the less was thrown from the temple and then stoned to death. Jude was shot to death with arrows. And Paul was boiled in hot oil and beheaded. Now, members of the jury, may I suggest that the only thing that could have possibly changed their lives so dramatically was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every one of these guys could have lived if they had just made one statement. One statement. All they had to do was say, he's dead. But they refused because they knew that Jesus lives. Exhibit C is changed lives. Not only did the resurrected Christ impact this group of individuals, his life-changing power has transformed people from the third decade to the first century down through the, this very moment. The combined testimony of changed lives attributed to the risen Christ runs into the billions. From every race and tribe and language and nationality in the world, Jesus lives. Despite the various intellectual and social backgrounds, believers are united in the conviction, brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ is alive. Alive. Jesus has changed my life. And from talking with many of you, I know that he's changed your life as well. His life-changing power is just as available to us today as it was to those frightened followers on that first Easter night. I would like to now make my closing argument. In considering the resurrection of Jesus, thinking men and women will take the time to sort through all the available information and study the evidence. First of all, how do you explain the empty tomb? Second, how do you argue against multiple witnesses? And finally, how do you get away from the fact that the resurrected Christ changes lives? The evidence is strong. The evidence is compelling. In fact, many skeptics have approached the resurrection with the goal of disproving it. And as many skeptics have come away believers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As they gathered all the data, they also discovered 
that the evidence demands a verdict. Members of the jury, what's your verdict on the resurrection of Christ? Do you support this claim or is it a hoax? There can only be one true verdict. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus Christ is alive. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, how blessed we are that Jesus would die the death that we deserve. That he would hang on that cross knowing that you would turn your back on him for that moment because of all of our sin. All he would endure that we should endure. He took on himself. Humble Jesus took my sin into his holy life and became my mediator to you. Father, we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus. We are thankful for all that you've given us. And Jesus, we are thankful to you for your love. Because when you were on that cross, we were all on your mind. We thank you. We give you the glory, honor, and praise in the name of Jesus who was crucified on Calvary, who died and was raised three days later. In his name we pray, all God's children said, amen. So, Summer, this is a certificate of baptism for you to hang on your wall or make paper airplanes out of whatever is good for you. Um, so that you have, so you know the, the day that uh, you got wet. But more importantly, that you know the day your salvation was before that. Oh, look, she wants that. <laughs> we also have a Bible for you. Praise the Lord. And Miles, you've rededicated your life, and, and I'm going to hold you to this. Amen. <laughs> because I'm your dad, and I'm the preacher. <laughs> so, so that's actual. But we also got you to pray. To use so you can raise your family Amen. under the guidance of the Lord. I'm going to ask you guys to come back with us. All right. I'm going to take her with me. This is my little munchkin granddaughter. And she loves me. Just like Jesus loves me. I love you guys so much. Enjoy your Easter. You know...
try not to make it about the bunnies and all that stuff. You know, he died for us to have a life in heaven. Let's make it about that. Enjoy that time, but share that with somebody today. Share it with somebody. Can you do that? I know that you can. Have a great, great Easter day. Have a great week. If you need me, please call. We do hope that you were blessed this Easter morning. First Baptist Welcome has Sunday worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. Check us out at firstbaptistwelcome.com for all of our services. We are located at 6735 Port Tobacco Road in Welcome, Maryland. That's First Baptist Welcome, where Jesus will meet you where you are, but never leave you there.